Please stand for the reading of God's word. Our Old Testament reading is from Isaiah 42, verses 5 through 9. This is what the Lord God says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. The New Testament reading is from Acts 17, verses 22 through 31. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I found even an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. The word of the Lord. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. We are going to be uh, considering a topic that seems appropriate for Thanksgiving week, and that's the topic of fullness. Uh, I'm sure as all of you look forward to fullness of a sort this week, but we're not going to be thinking of turkey dressing and pecan pie, uh, but rather what does it mean that God is full? Uh, that's what we want to think about this morning. So before we do that, uh, would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we pray that this morning that your word would be the standard for us by which we judge what is right, what is true, what is good, what is beautiful. We pray also that your Holy Spirit would be our guide, that he would come and bring the truth into us so that it would bear fruit in our lives this week and even this day. And we pray that our ongoing concern 
would be your glory in this world. We pray that we would leave this place better equipped to honor, to serve, and to worship you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I traveled uh, to Arizona this past week, and I played a game in the airport, uh, which I often play to amuse myself, uh, to keep myself from the boredom. Uh, but you don't have to be in an airport to play this game. You can do it anywhere people are gathered. You could even do it in church or restaurant or grocery store, wherever you choose. But the game is simple, and that is you pick out an individual, a couple, or a family, and you make up a story about them. Why are they here? Where are they going? Where are they from? What are they going through? And you just make up a story. And so as I was sitting there waiting on my plane, I sat across from Jay. Jay is 25. He's from Kentucky. And Jay is an aspiring professional golfer on his way to San Diego to play in his last tournament of the year to qualify for the Corn Ferry Tour. And he's decided that if he doesn't qualify at this tournament, he's going to give up this kind of path and just become a professional at the local club because he's dating Elizabeth and their relationship's going somewhere and he needs something stable. That's Jay. Now, Jay and I never exchanged words, but that's who he is. That's what's going on in his life right now. <laughs> and I have no basis in reality to actually think any of that is true, right? But, but this morning, Paul tells the people of Athens, that they're playing this same game. He says, You're, this is what you've been doing. You've been sitting there deciding who God is, what he must be like, and how he wants to be related to. But it's all just a story you've made up. In fact, it's a, it's a practice that humans have had for centuries, to just sit around and to decide what God must be like and how he wants to be related to. In fact, Paul says there was a time in human history where such speculation would be somewhat excusable. He calls it the times of ignorance. But he says, you know, it says there on your stone that God can't be known. And he says, but the times of ignorance are over because the God of heaven and earth has spoken. He has made himself known. He's made himself known through his word, but especially the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. He can be known, and we can know what he is like and how he wants us to relate to him. And so Paul dismantles their story and shares with them the story of who God is and how he is to be related to. And so this morning, what we're going to do is has God's stories correct our story. We want to understand the nature of God as Paul describes him here so that we can have our story corrected also. And so what we want to look at are just two things about God from this passage. The first one is this. The first thing we learn about God from this passage is that God doesn't need anything. God doesn't need anything, or let me say it more pointedly. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need us. Doesn't that just sound so heartwarming? Isn't that why you woke up to come to church to hear that God of heaven and earth doesn't need you? That's what you can tell family and friends at the Thanksgiving table. I heard such an inspiring sermon about how God doesn't need me. But it's true. 
In fact, Paul says something even more offensive to the Greeks in this passage. He says, you are ignorant. <laughs> he says, but I've come to tell you the truth. But it is true. God doesn't need us. He doesn't. That comes out in verse 25, where Paul says he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. God doesn't have needs. The Christians throughout the centuries have described what Paul is talking about here as the aseity of God. That's a fancy Latin term spelled A-S-E-I-T-Y. But all it means is that God has everything he has ever needed from himself. That you can't give something to God so as to add something to him. And you can't withhold something from God so as to diminish him in some respect. But for all of eternity, God has had everything he has ever needed in and of himself. This is in part why he is glorious and transcendent and different than we, his creatures. And in case you think I'm making too much of just a small phrase in Acts 17, let me just remind you that scripture testifies to this elsewhere. Psalm 50, I have no need, God says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or a goat from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. Romans 11, Paul says, Who's ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him, through him, and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. God is self-existing and self-sufficient. In other words, he is full. Full of everything he has ever needed as he has been, is now, and evermore shall be. And so God doesn't need anything. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need our generosity. So why is this of any importance? Where's the heartwarming part of the sermon? Because the story of the Bible is not a story about a God who needs you. But as Paul tells the Greeks, it's a story about the God you need. That's the difference. That the God of heaven and earth is not a God who needs you, but rather you need him. And that's what Paul tells them and what he tells us this morning. Because we tend to think God's like us. We have a lot of needs, right? We need attention. We need resources. We need affection. We need all these types of things. But God doesn't need any of that. Everything God does he, is, he does it because it pleases him to do it. God is full and free. He's not obligated to do things. He does them because he is free to do whatever pleases him. And when he does something, it isn't to resolve some deficiency that he has. But rather, it's to resolve a deficiency that we have. This is why God does things. And the Bible is full of examples of God reminding us that he doesn't need us to do things in order to get things done, in order for his purposes to be accomplished. God doesn't need farmers to feed people. He can just make manna appear on the ground. He can use ravens as his door dash, as Elijah discovered, to bring food to people, to supply them. 
God doesn't need, quote-unquote, medical specialists to heal. He can, if he chooses, to work apart from those things to heal people. God doesn't need the normal reproductive process for a virgin to conceive. God doesn't need us to be at work right now in order for the world to keep moving forward. God doesn't need things. He doesn't depend on us. God doesn't depend on anything outside of himself to do what he pleases. And that's good news. Because if God depends on the person that you look at in, at the mirror in the morning to get things done, that's not good news, right? <laughs> that's not good news at all. But God is sufficient in and of himself. He has everything he needs. We can't add to him or take away from him. And he is not depending on us, but rather he is free to do whatever he pleases. In fact, Jesus makes this point in a striking way in Matthew 3, when he says that, that if he wanted to, he, God can make disciples out of rocks. He says, I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. God doesn't need things to accomplish his will. And so we need to make sure that our story about God is, is not a story about a God who needs us, but rather a story about the God we need, who is able to do whatever he pleases. But that brings us to the second thing we want to look at, not just that God doesn't need anything, but the second thing we learn about God from this passage is that God gives us everything. God gives us everything. You'll notice verse 25, right after, right after Paul says, as if he needed anything, he says, since he himself gives to all mankind life, breath, and everything else. So think about these things put together now. God doesn't need us. He's full. He is free to do whatever he pleases. And what it has pleased God to do is to make you, sustain you, to, to save you, to give you life, breath, and, as he says there, everything else. This is what it has pleased God to do. God does everything from fullness, not from a deficiency. And so it has pleased him from his fullness to give everything to you. I've had a goal in life to be known as the fun uncle. We all have to have goals. This is one of mine. And so as my nieces and nephews uh, were born, when they entered kind of the toddler stage, I started to bring to family gatherings M&Ms, bags of M&Ms, because if there's anything that can persuade the heart of a ch child that this person is good, it's the person who gives candy, right? And so this is why we have to tell our children, don't take candy from strangers. Uh, so I bring bags of M&Ms to the family gatherings, and you don't need the parents' permissions because those are my brothers and sisters. I don't respect them. So <laughs> you don't need their permission. You just give the M&Ms to these kids. And, you know, the first time their eyes, you know, open wide, they start looking for their parents. Is this okay? Is this good? And then I, I teach them we don't need your parents' permission. <laughs> but I only see my nieces and nephews a few times every year. And so I would always just bring the bags of M&Ms in. Do you know what, to start, what started to happen year after year after year? I would just walk in, and then they would find me, and they would just look at me. No words were exchanged. They just wanted to know where are the goods, 
When do we get the goods? How do we get the goods? Because I had habituated these children, right? I had established a pattern, and the pattern had established expectations. This guy brings M&Ms. I want M&Ms. He's got them. I'm going. I can expect to get M&Ms. He's here. And this is a similar way that God works with his creatures. God, every, every time God appears, he gives. He gives, he gives, he gives life, he gives breath, he gives everything else. And the purpose being that he wants to set the expectation for his creatures. That when we come to him, we can expect he's going to give. This is what he does. This is part of his nature. We can anticipate and expect it from him. Isn't that why Paul says in Romans 8, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? If God's given you life, breath, and his son, Jesus Christ, what else would he withhold from you? He will give you all things. Now, it's important to note, when we say God gives us everything, he's at this point talking to unbelieving Greeks. And he says, to you unbelieving Greeks, God has been giving life and breath and everything else. And that remains true. God is good to all his creation, not just his children. He gives our unbelieving neighbors and friends and family work. He gives them promotions. He gives them food. He gives them sustenance. This is the way God works. God is good and he gives to his creatures. But notice in here, he doesn't just stop at, at those uh, things, life and breath and everything else, but Paul goes on to say God has also given us his son, and it, with his son, he has given us a command to repent. He's given us a command to repent, which is simply a way of saying God, through his son, is giving us salvation, and the way we receive that salvation is to simply obey God's command to repent. And the word repent means to turn, to turn from sin, to turn from rebellion, to turn from our stories, to turn to God for salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. In fact, if you want to think about the word repent, it really, think about the military term, the military command about face, because that's what it means. If you're not familiar with that, about face, right, means uh, turn into the opposite direction that, to which you've been going. Make a full turn, 180 degrees. And that's exactly what repentance means. Paul is telling the Greeks, when God says, everyone, he has commanded everyone everywhere to repent, God is calling on the world to do an about face, to come towards him, to stop running away from him, and to turn toward him. And of course, the good news is that the God you've been running from, when you turn toward him, what you are met with is not with his wrath and anger. But when you turn in repentance to God, you are met with salvation, with righteousness, with eternal life. That this is the good news. Now, this may sound contradictory, but just stick with me. God doesn't need anything, but he is obligated to do certain things for us. And we know that because he obligates himself to do those things. The only things God is obligated to do are the things he obligates himself to do. And in the Bible, we call those promises. Promises. Covenants. And God, 
announces here that he has promised the world that any who turn in repentance and faith to Jesus Christ, he will by no means turn away. That he will, he is obligated to provide them with the salvation he's promised. Not because of something outside of him, but because of something inside of him, his own nature. God is only obligated to do what he obligates himself to do. And what he has obligated himself to do is to save all those who turn in faith and repentance. We turn towards God. What repentance, what that about face means is that we turn toward him, bringing God only our sin to offer. And what, what we receive from him is the forgiveness secured for us by the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So think about what this means. God is fully free to do whatever pleases him. And what pleases him is to send his son to live for us, to die for us, to be raised for us. It has pleased God to give salvation to people who make the about face and put their trust in Jesus Christ. The God that our instincts, like the Greeks, tell us to run from is the very God that we discover we must run to. And the Christian life, of course, we don't just enter the Christian life through repentance, but the whole of the Christian life is repentance. That we continually try to uh, go astray, and so we continually, like we did today, confess our sins, repent of them, and turn back to God and have the assurance that he will do what he's obligated himself to do, to receive us, to forgive us, to assure us of eternal life. And so these truths are important for each other. That God is full, he doesn't need anything from us, but that God gives everything to us, life, breath, everything else, and salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. And if you want to think, well, what practically does this mean for me as a, as a Christian this week? One of the things it means is this. You can't exhaust God. You can't exhaust him. Now, this week, you're probably going to spend time with some people that probably do exhaust you. <laughs> Maybe your children who are home from school, home from college, that exhaust you. There have been times, as a parent, I have told my children, no more questions. You're out of questions, right? Because they weary me with their questions. But And we, we often... Uh, position, project onto God uh, things that we experience. But the, the Bible reminds us because God is full and because God gives, we can expect to go to him with any need we have and to not exhaust him. And so practically speaking, what it means is this, that when he gives you mercy, he has yet more mercy to give. That when he gives you a sense of his presence, that he is with you, there is yet more of his presence still to give you. That when he gives you favorable things, providences like job and health and things of those sorts, he has yet more favor to give to you. That even this morning, when you come to him to ask for forgiveness and you receive his forgiveness, he has yet more forgiveness to give to you. That when you have come to him before and asked for his power in helping vanquish some sin in your life. There is yet more power 
for him to give to you. You can't exhaust God. You can't exhaust him because of his fullness. He, he has everything he's ever needed, and he, you can't diminish him by your continual asking. He promises to give. He's obligated to give these things to you if you seek after him. But there's one thing, too, that we would do well to note that is kind of assumed in this passage but not explicitly stated. That right now, God is giving humanity one of his greatest gifts, and that's the gift of time. The gift of time. Because it says here, he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through his son, the king he has set over the earth. And the only reason that that day is not today so far is that God is patient from his fullness. And God in his fullness desires people to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He is giving time for people to make an about face. Because as Peter says in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but to come to everlasting life. I can't know anything certain about that gentleman who sat across from me at the airport this week. And the only way we can know anything for certain about people is if they choose to tell us about themselves. And Paul tells us this morning that the God who made heaven and earth is not silent but that he has chosen to tell us about himself. We can know who he is, his character and nature, and how we can relate to him. We can know for certain that he is God. He is glorious and full in and of himself. He's free to do whatever pleases him. And what has pleased him to do is to send his son, Jesus Christ, to secure salvation for all who will about face and put their trust in him. And so may we live in light of that story this week. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we give thanks that you are the way you are, that you are glorious and have been and forevermore will be. And we thank you that it is part of your very nature to give to us. And so, Father, this morning, some of us need to come asking for yet more. And give us the assurance you have yet more to give. Father, some of us this morning need to heed that command to repentance. That we do need to make an about face to turn from our rebellion, to turn towards you, our Redeemer. And so, Father, we pray, help us to live in light of this story. Where we have false stories created about you and our relationship with you, would you take them away and help us to walk in the light of this story. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.